I wasn't skeptical, but I had kind of lost hope. So it was about rebuilding that hope. Um, so it wasn't that I was skeptical, skeptical of the individual's abilities to help or kind of what the theory was behind it. But it's just when you're told by so-called experts that, you know, there's nothing more that you can do. Um, I had lost hope that there was any way out. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal, a hospitality-focused podcast dedicated to smashing the stigma of mental health and inspiring people to create change within their lives and organisations for a happier and healthier hospitality profession. I'm joined this week by Juvie Pitchler, who runs Vegas Wellbeing, company focused on boosting health and well-being by focusing on mind and nutrition. She talks to us about the importance of nutrition and actually how eating the right foods can have such a profound and beneficial impact on our overall health and well-being. There are some key takeaways from this particular episode, certainly things that we can introduce into the working world as well as into our personal lives and as always, I hope that you enjoy this week's episode. So today on this week's episode, I'm joined by Julie from Vegas Wellbeing. Julie, hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm really good, Chris. Thank you very much for inviting me onto your podcast. No, you're totally welcome. Totally welcome. Um, thank you for getting in contact. I know that we were we're going to be speaking offline about continuing this conversation in terms of what we can provide and give out to our to our audience and what can benefit them but you know for for me as well as the people listening I I I don't know much about Vegas well-being I don't know much about yourself and I'd love to love to learn more so how how did you get into uh, into this particular subject matter in this business yeah thanks for asking um, yeah, so my background is very different. So I spent 23 years in marine insurance. Uh, so, you know, that climbing the corporate ladder, traveling, you know, crazy lifestyle, uh, very intense. And for a long time, I really enjoyed it. Um, but it was coupled with some ill health. So 11 years ago, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And I was very lucky in that it, um, they caught it early. I only had surgery. I didn't need chemo or radio. So, you know, it could have been a lot worse. But it did leave a lasting legacy of pain and scarring in my body. And also some gynae issues. So, you know, to do with the reproductive tract, there was some other things going on as well. So trying to deal with ill health, two small children, and a very intense job took its toll. Um, over over time, it wasn't sort of. I think that's a lot. A lot of uh, people's stories is that there's not this immediate breakdown, but it happens over time. And it, it certainly did. You know, the, the stress of the job wasn't helping. Anyway, to to try and build the story up, I saw a nutritional therapist, I saw a personal trainer, and I went and used mindfulness meditation. And the combination of those three uh, support systems completely transformed my life. 
at a point where the NHS had completely wrote me off. I was living in chronic pain on lots of medication and they, you know, it was medically undiagnosed. They said, we can't help you. But I, I'm quite stubborn and I just wasn't prepared to accept that. You know, I wasn't 40 at that point and I wasn't prepared to live my the rest of my life like that. So went off and, you know, got some personal help with the, these amazing um amazing therapists but when I started to see the impact that was having on my on my body I could no longer ignore that um, information so I decided to retrain in nutritional therapy that it was just so powerful um, and it also reignited a, a passion for nutrition that had always been there so when I was 18, finishing A-levels, I realised slightly too late that I would have liked to have been a dietitian, but hadn't chose the science subjects. You know, this was pre-internet, you know, where you had to write off for information about courses from university. And I don't think anybody at 18 wants to go and resit GCSEs and A-levels and, and do it all again. So kind of that moment passed me by. But once I started to discover this information, it was like, oh, well, this, this has always been simmering in the background and it was just too, too much to ignore. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And thank you for sharing as well. I mean, my um, my mum at the moment in time is going through chemotherapy for uh, for, for breast cancer. Uh, and unfortunately, we lost my mother-in-law um, last well, two years ago or a year and a half ago now. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, I understand the not necessarily first hands, but the impact that that it can have uh, on, on you, and obviously, you know, the support network around you as well. I'm curious. So, when you started searching for nutritional and personal trainer and mindfulness, were these things that you already knew and understood potentially could have a positive impact, or was it sort of like a last, a last? I don't know, a last hope, if you like, in terms of the fact that the NHS has said, well, we can't figure it out. We have no clue. You're on your own. Uh, how did you come to these these sort of the options? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was something I knew about at the time of NHS treatment. I wish I knew about them earlier, for sure. Um, so I think it was really just the internet and searching and picking up books and discovering for myself um, that these alternative therapies were out there um, and particularly in relation to, I know this is slightly going off topic but with the personal training um, I mention it because what's really important to me and what ties into the business name is that is the mind-body connection and because my body had let me down you know it, you know it, it was broken in some way I had completely divorced myself from my own body and that might sound strange to someone who hasn't gone through an illness. But, you know, I, I physically didn't recognize myself. So I remember, you know, at the first time going to see the personal trainer and, you know, I started to put on weight, was getting out of breath, walking around because a lot of, you know, lying around, living on painkillers, you know, you're just, you're losing your physical strength. And I remember not him, even allow, you know, I didn't want him to even touch my body, you know, and that, not in terms of showing me movements and that kind of thing and being just so removed from what my body was capable of. And 
it's the power of reconnecting with that because when you're in pain, whether that's mental or physical, the tendency is to push it away or bury it or, you know, just somehow ignore it. But that only makes it bigger, both in the mind and the body. And we need to somehow um, become in tune with it and recognize and become aware of it to start to heal. So it's a, it's a, it's an unseen physical and and psychological trauma, I guess, in a way, isn't it? Like if, if you don't acknowledge it and start to try and process it, it's just going to fester like, like, like a, like a cancer, if you like. Yeah, it just gets bigger. The more you ignore something, the bigger it gets. And I'm in the process of doing some work on pain with some psychologists and, you know, that, that therapy, you know, nutrition, I'm very aware is one tool in the toolbox. Um, and perhaps we'll come on to why that is in relation to mental health later on. But, you know, it's about giving people the choice of tools to help themselves. Nutrition isn't going to be the answer for everybody, but what tools are, you know, what speaks to them to to help them get better? Yeah, and and as there is no one size fits all, is there? And that's that's the that's the thing with this, and it's the same with, you know, diets and exercise and all of this other thing. You know, what works for one individual may not work for another. In the same way that a supportive structure for one individual may not work for another person, and it's getting to understand exactly what your brain, your body needs in order to be able to perform at its highest levels, um, which is quite quite interesting so i mean your perception running into this this was all you know you'd found it on the internet it was all relatively new to you were you quite skeptical at the beginning in terms of what the what the result or what the output would be i wasn't skeptical but i had kind of lost hope so it was about rebuilding that hope and so it wasn't that i was skeptical skeptical of the individual's abilities to help or kind of what the theory was behind it. But it's just when you're told by so-called experts that, you know, there's nothing more that you can do. Um, I had lost hope that there was any way out, um, which is kind of, you know, why when I learned about the Burnt Chef Project and the fantastic work you're trying to do is, you know, one of the messages I want to give to your listeners is is one of hope that there is always something else to try amazing and we'll be exploring more of that throughout our conversation i'm I'm first and foremost i'm intrigued vegas well-being firstly what is vegas what's the term and and we're not talking about casinos um it's v-a-g-u-s but what what is vegas and 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 why vegas well-being yeah thanks for asking so vegas is a, a a nerve that runs from our brainstem, so the back of our heads, all the way through our torso, so to our heart, lungs, digestive tract, liver, gallbladder, you know, all the organs that we have in our body. And it is the major component of our parasympathetic nervous system. So we have two nervous systems um, of the autonomic, so our automatic nerves. So if you think about breathing, your heart rate, when you need to use the bathroom. These are all automatic processes in the body. We don't have to consciously think to breathe. 
But we have two branches, sympathetic, so our fight or flight nervous system, and parasympathetic, which is our rest and digest nervous system. And in Western lifestyle, we spend too long in fight or flight and not enough in rest and digest. So Vegas is, the, you know, it, it's a, the, the, the motorway, if you like, between our organs and our brain for the rest and digest part. So if our vagal tone is strong, then we are more able to relax and encourage this balance of the nervous systems in the body. Interesting. Yeah. So in terms of like, oh, so many questions off the back of that. Um, I mean, first and foremost, how, how do you get your vagus nervous and your parasympathetic nervous system to just change, change its state? Like how, how, how is that possible? Especially for, you know, hospitality individuals who are, you know, working longer hours and with high demands and pressures. Yeah, so there's lots you can do to improve your vagal tone. And um, the first thing is is breathing, which sounds really obvious, but it isn't because we can spend a lot of time in a stress state, breathing at the top of our lungs, and not the way all the way down into our belly. So this is where things like mindfulness, yoga come in because they can encourage that deep, um, longer breath in the body so just by ha having longer breaths and deeper breaths and making the out breath longer than the in breath then that in itself it stimulates the vagus nerve and then things like gargling so if you want to gargle some water after you've brushed your teeth or the gag reflex so when you've brushed your teeth touching the back of the soft palate in your mouth and that stimulates the vagus nerve because it runs down our neck. So it's all about touching it and, you know, giving it some stimulation. Um, cold showers. So cold therapy is really stimulatory. It's not one for me personally, but cold water swimming is massively taking off here in the Northeast where it's freezing cold. But every day there's, there's uh, swimmers out there. Um, humming. So... You know, when you, you, I don't know if you talk to yoga teachers, but that, um, that, you know, sometimes they might use that. It's that just stimulates the nerve as well. And then things like acupuncture. Um, so needles, particularly in our ear or it on the, in the middle of our ear. Um, so needles can stimulate certain areas and even, you know, massage, chiropractic treatments. So there's lots of physical ways you can stimulate the, the vagus nerve, but, you know, to, to keep it simple for your listeners, I would just encourage that deeper breathing. Yeah, which is something that we talk about through our training sessions in terms of checking in with ourselves, almost like a body scan. When when was the last time that any of us took a deep breath? And probably now with the listeners and even myself included are like, oh yeah, I need to breathe deeply. But we we are always in this sort of panicked, heightened state whereby you're always on red alert mode. And 
the more that I look into this and the more we look at stress mitigation and we're training teams about how we reduce stress within workplaces, the more I'm starting to find more and more causes of stress. And it's becoming a constant battle, like, you know, even just investigating the other day about the impacts of notifications on the phone and how they spike your dopamine levels and put you in a high state of arousal. But then they're they're increasing um, your stress response. And it means that you're constantly being bombarded with little like tiny jumps jolts of stress so it's i mean that that in itself is is huge i mean is for anyone looking at monitoring their breathing is there do they have to set a reminder on their calendar is there something that they have to sort of be quite acutely aware of because this isn't something that's in with our normal habit at this moment in time I think it's about what works for the individual. So for some people, just setting an alarm for two minutes. So, you know, if you're busy, even doing two minutes can help to, to bring our stress levels down. Some people prefer an app, you know, to help guide them. Um, it, it depends on how much time people think they can give and when it's going to work in their in their lifestyle. So... I would never tell anyone. It's always a conversation and a very collaborative approach and asking clients um, what what's going to work for them, inviting them to come up with solutions. That's going to be more motivational than me ever telling someone what to do. Yeah. And perhaps if there's anyone out there listening about how they can implement this into team structures, this could be a, a post or pre-service team activity. Um, or even, I mean, when you probably need it the most is slap bang in the middle of service, mm-hmm. you know, two minutes of, of deep breathing as a team to put a circuit breaker in place could be tremendous in terms of people's well-being and, and their ability to perform. Yeah. The penny's just dropped for me there. So thank you for that. And so the vagus is obviously the vagus nerve is attached to the digestive system. And obviously the digestive system must have a, a huge part to play in recovery from illnesses and health, overall health and well-being. I mean, I know that serotonin is predominantly produced in the gut. Um, I think ni- over 90 percent, but I could be I could be medically mistaken. It's uh, more general knowledge. But I mean, w- how does our overall gut health and what we eat impact our overall health and well-being in terms of illness and, and thriving? That's a great question. Thanks, Chris. And it's a complicated one, but I'll try and keep it simple. There's lots going on in the gut. And from the gut, I mean from your stomach all the way through to the other end. You know, there's lots of different compartments. And... I'll try and list the sort of body systems. That's how we work, looking at the body systems and where there's dysfunction. So you've got our hormones as a starting point. So our hunger and satiety hormones, you know, when do we feel full and when do we, you know, so that can be disrupted. We make insulin, which transports our food around the body um, for energy. We've got cortisol. So cortisol is a stress hormone, which will have systemic um, effects on the gut and elsewhere we've got the immune system so 70 percent of our immune system is in the gut and that for me is quite intuitive because after our skin it's the the biggest interface with the outside world so every time we swallow something the immune system has to check whether that's friend or foe 
So does that food include have salmonella? Is there some kind of bacteria that's going to cause a problem? So it's constantly surveilling what we're eating and making sure it's okay, not going to do us any harm. So because of that, if the gut's not functioning well, that can have quite systemic effects on our immune system, which also affects the brain. So the immune system produces messengers, like little communication signals that cross the blood-brain barrier and cause inflammation in the brain, um, like a high alert, like the fire alarm going off. Um, So the microglia are our brain immune cells and they start firing off saying there's a problem, there's a problem. And if you do that, if that is, you know, chronic, the immune system, what we call chronic low-grade inflammation, because the gut's not well and the immune system's on alert, then that can result in things like brain fog, brain shrinkage, obviously mood disorders, anxiety, depression. So what we want to try and do is bring inflammation down in the gut, which will have a positive impact on the brain. And another huge area is the microbiome. So I'm not sure if you've had any people talk about that yet on your podcast, but our gut bacteria have a huge influence on all of our, um, on our health. So we've got two kilos of bacteria. We've got the same amount of cells in our bacteria as we have in the human body. It's, it's huge. And the, the gut bacteria essentially talk to all the other immune um, body systems. So they talk to our immune cells, our hormones, our neurotransmitters, and they give like a little bit of, this is the lay of the land. Things are okay or they're not okay. So looking after our gut bacteria is really important for our general health. I I mean, we see it on adverts, don't we, for things like Yakult about drinking drinking some unknown substance, which apparently is meant to be good for you. But um you'd never really pay that much attention to, to these sort of things. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, I don't know, how, how do we check what state our, our gut bacteria is in our microbiome and, and how do we, if it's in a poor state, look at trying to improve it and I would, where do you even begin? You can test your stools to see what your gut microbiome is doing, but you don't need to do that. I think, you know, you can assess your gut by yourself. So, you know, do you have any pain, any bloating? Um, are you going to the toilet every day? So constipation is a is a big problem in the UK. Um, some people go in every other day and that's constipation. And if you are suffering with that, then that causes a buildup of toxins in the body because you're not excreting um, what we need to but similarly diarrhea is you know we're not getting nutrients so that the food is passing too too fast through the gut and being eliminated before we get the chance to get the nutrients from it so I think you know we're all intuitive enough to recognize if the gut is functioning well um, you know, if you've had a heavy night or you drink, you know, you've been drinking alcohol, you know, your gut isn't doesn't feel as good as it perhaps could. Um, a simple, the simplest way to look after this gut bacteria 
is to feed it. So it loves prebiotics. So what you see on the in the yogurts and the little drinks are probiotics. So they are live bacteria that you're supplementing. But prebiotics are feeding our own. And what they love is variety. So, you know, whilst I practice personalized nutrition, one of the kind of golden rules I could tell anybody is to try and increase your uh, variety. So aim for 30 plants a week. So that sounds like a lot. But when you include fruit, vegetables, nuts and seeds, herbs and spices, then you can think, well, it's a bit easier to get to 30. So the variety of um, different fibres in our plant food gives that a nice broad spectrum to ensure that we have some nice uh, positive strains of bacteria. Interesting. And so to, to, to when I talk about the subject of mental health and well-being, I often walk us back through time, back to when we were you know, roaming the plains of Africa as, as Neanderthals and try to simplify our bio, biology and our, our genetic makeup back then and, and how complicated and strange the world has got. Um, so I'm intrigued. I know there's this whole sort of plant-based revolution going on at the moment, some some for health reasons, some for environmental reasons. Were we grazing more off of plants than meat and and is meat inherently bad for us and you know in our diets or is it you know everything in moderation how does that work yes we were eating a lot more plants in terms of the variety and obviously a lot of our plant foods now are grown genetically grown so for example a broccoli didn't exist on the savannah you know it's been bred and Uh, Different plants have been put together to get the foods that we've got now. So when you hear things like the paleo diet, it's kind of um, none of the foods in the paleo, when we were like hunter gatherers, exist anymore. But the principle is just to encourage more um, natural whole foods. Um, I know obviously vegan vegetarian is really popular now. And that's a very personal choice, like you say, for um, not just not just for physical reasons, ethical as well. Um, I'm a meat eater, but you know, it's I would you know always respect other people's choices. It's about getting the nutrients that we need. So you can, in theory, get enough protein, vitamins, and minerals, with the exception of a couple, from a vegetarian and vegan diet. But it needs to be well planned. So, for example, protein. Um, obviously, we get a lot of protein from animal products, our meat, fish, dairy. Then we're going to have to eat a lot more plant food to get the same amount of protein. Um, beans, lentils, that kind of thing. And then, you know, with vegetarian and vegan diets, they are at risk of things like iron deficiency which we get from red meat. It's very um, rich in in iron. Uh, And B12. So B12 only comes from animal products and it's very important for the brain, actually. And it's one of the key nutrients for good brain health to build the neurotransmitters and allow good communication between brain cells. So you can do it. 
Um, my concern is more with the ultra processed food. So you get a lot of food manufacturers sticking vegan and vegetarian on a on a packaged food, and that gives the impression of health. And I think the two, the terms have been used interchangeably. So you can get an ultra processed food, for example, like a fake burger. You know, so you've got a lot of these um, replacement meats now. So not just a veggie burger, but you know something that's supposed to taste a little bit more like meat. You know, what are the ingredients in those, and what is what's happened in the processing? So my word of caution is, vegan or vegetarian doesn't unfortunately in today's supermarkets doesn't mean healthy all the time no uh, having worked in the wholesale sector one of our suppliers who was prov providing gluten-free products said to us uh, he said uh, don't look at the sugar content on the back of the pack and i said why is that he says well the rule is if you take something out something has to go back in to replace it he says, so whilst they're gluten-free, they've got two or three times the amount of sugar in there. And you go, oh, so people are eating that because they believe that the gluten-free is, is going to be better for their for their gut and for their health. And yet, actually, they've just doubled their sugar intake as a result of that. And so you have to, there's so much, inf there's almost too much information about nowadays, but it's all about clever marketing, isn't it? You have to really start mm -hmm. reading past the adverts and past the branding and start getting down to the root for lack of a better term, the root of uh, what's actually in the product, hey? Yeah. Yeah, it's just they've, they've not just added sugar and salt to these things, but they've they've stripped out the fibre. So we're talking about those fibres to feed the gut bacteria. And they've often stripped out, you know, good protein. So fibre and protein is what makes us feel full. So a lot of these packaged foods can leave us feeling more hungry than then then otherwise so it's not just the impact of the ingredients but there's a whole other layer um going on about well how does that make us feel afterwards yeah that's a uh, i mean i haven't really looked i i don't really subscribe to the diets and to the fads i feel like i mean like for example at the moment i'm gaining weight because i'm uh experiencing high levels of stress i'm eating more carbs um back end of last year i was using alcohol as a self-soothing mechanism and self-care had gone out the window so i wasn't exercising so rather than put myself on a you know a diet i've i've started exercising which isn't you know ju good just for my physical health and my waistline but it also makes me feel a lot lot better as well um so i don't tend to subscribe to diets or fads i tend to look at it from a, a very high up position in terms of I'm not burning enough, I need to burn more, or I need to eat less. But there needs to be that equilibrium, doesn't there, between burning calories and eating calories. And no matter how you dress that up sometimes, on a very high macro level, that's what it, that's what it comes down to in terms of weight loss. But there's all those nuances, such as what you eat and how you exercise and what sort of like structures you have in place that actually make you feel good and make you feel wholesome. Um, but I mean, whilst we're on the subject, I mean, why why do I, he says, looking at a two and a half kilo bag of chocolate that a supplier very kindly donated, um, why do I crave copious amounts of sugar and carbs and chocolate when we are stressed or when it has been a long day? You know, why is that our go-to 
soothing mechanism? Yeah, great question, Chris. Thanks. Um, it goes back to our evolution. So the body doesn't distinguish between psychological stress. So, you know, a boss shouting at you versus the physical stress of running away from an animal on the savannah all those, you know, thousands of years ago. The, to the body and the brain, it's the same thing. So if you think you've got to get ready to run from danger, your body needs energy. It needs to be primed. It needs sh sugar and glucose to be in those limbs ready to run. So it's the same with psychological stress. We crave the sugar and the carbohydrates because the body thinks it needs some quick releasing energy to run away. And that, that's simply what it is. And the cortisol, the hormone um, cortisol goes and pumps it into, um, into our body for us. Oh, so it's, a, it's like a, well, what used to be a self-protection mechanism is now a self-sabotaging mechanism because we don't necessarily need those carbs uh, or energy because, yeah, we're, we're stressed and we ultimately self-care has probably gone out the window as well. So exercise is probably not something that we're using to burn that off. So what do we do instead? Like, <laughs> how do we get through that if that's if that's biologically a, a mechanism that we've got in place? It comes back to that relaxation and finding ways to bring balance to our nervous system. Because if you are in a, that stressed state, then it's going to make weight, weight loss very difficult. Because what cortisol also does is that it raises our insulin levels. So insulin is a hormone that our pancreas releases when we eat. It senses the food coming through our bloodstream. And then it gives us insulin to take it all around the body um, but insulin, high levels of insulin, say by constant grazing, so if we're snacking a lot and eating all day, then our insulin's never going to go down, then that's going to prevent the any kind of fat burning of our existing stores. So one way of trying to manage our weight is to manage our insulin levels. So I don't have any quick fix for you. To, we can't change our evolution. But the other important factor is our food environment. So, you know, all those years ago, food wasn't abundant, you know, some, and this is where intermittent fasting comes in because the body sometimes would have lots of food and sometimes it wouldn't. Whereas now food is everywhere. You know, it's, it's, we can't escape it. And that's one of the fundamental problems with society is that the junk food and the nice tasting food that hijacks our brain is, is all around us. Yes. A life of abundance isn't necessarily a good thing. Um, again, it comes down to intrinsic and extrinsic motivations, which I talk about a lot on, on the podcast. But I mean, what sort of links are there? I mean, we know, you know, through general conversations, especially within the hospitality community, where, you know, often enough, not eating full meals, haven't got time for it. It's a you know, plate of chips on the pass or a bowl of pasta or leftover pasta for, for star food. Um, we also know that you know, eight out of 10 or four out of five individuals in hospitality experience difficulties with their mental health and high levels of stress. So what sort of ev evidence is there that's linked specifically food to depression and how big a role has that got to play in our overall well-being? I'd say it's a tool in the toolbox for sure. 
Um, but the problem that nutrition has had until recently is that it's very difficult for gold standard, what we call randomized controlled trials, is the sort of highest standard of evidence to show cause and effect. It's very difficult with nutri- you know with nutrition and food because we can't lock people up to monitor what they're eating in a trial. Um, that you know that's not ethical. So we then rely on food questionnaires or food recall, which is has an element of um, you know mistakes in them that you know people don't always recall exactly what they've eaten or they might miss things out. So that is a form of research is is already um, limited. But then, how do you isolate a food or a nutrient like you would with a drug? So with a, with a drug trial, you can have you generally have a control trial, so a placebo when nobody you give them a sugar pill and they don't know that they're taking a placebo versus the group that are getting the intervention. And then you compare the two and then you can demonstrate efficacy of that drug. But you can't do that with nutrition because you can't isolate the nutrient or the food or be sure that people are on, you know, they're, they're eating lots of different nutrients in a day. So nutrition's already on the back foot in terms of the gold standard evidence that people expect. However, there has been um, a fantastic trial called the SMILES trial um, that went on in Australia. And this, this lady is doing some wonderful work. She's called Felice Jacker. And what she did was she had 180 people with clinical depression, so, you know, major depression. And she put half of the group on a Mediterranean diet. So that's a little bit of meat and fish, fruit and vegetables, nuts and seeds, olive oil. So the Mediterranean diet is kind of like, a you know, it's the most well-known health healthy um, way of eating. So the... The intervention group went on the Mediterranean diet with support, some health coaching. And then the other part went on just for, just had coaching. You know, they had that sort of group support. And and so, so they went on this for 12 weeks. And any medication, so if they were on um, antidepressants, they carried on with those. And what they found was with the Mediterranean diet that one third of participants went into remission. So their depression depression completely stopped versus 8% in the support group. Now, that might not sound a lot, but by drug standards, that would be like an amazing result. So that is just one mm. example where there are trials now which show that that food makes a huge impact on our mind. And there are also what we call longitudinal studies where they look at diet overall over a number of years, um, over a much bigger cohort, and they have shown associations. So they can't say X nutrient cause, you know, has this effect, but they can say that Mediterranean diet, healthy eating index, DASH diet, which is all about blood pressure. So there's various different diets that they've looked at and they're all associated with lower depression interesting as they say what what's the old saying you are what you eat to uh i think that's never been so true and so for anyone who's looking at 
changing their diet, which often enough, getting the energy and the forward momentum to change any habitual processes is the hardest part and putting one foot in front of the other. But yeah, can you suggest any simple steps or tips that people can people can take to start to address this, especially if, you know, they don't have much time at home, if they're not able to do a great deal of meal prep, what sort of things can they do to start to, to look after this area of their life? Yeah, I mean, I'm all about practicality and it is really tough. And that's why I like to start with the mind, because if we're not motivated or we're low mood, then nothing else is going to change. So let's try and, you know, physically and mentally uh, support the brain and then motivation may follow and um, the top nutrients and foods that are not difficult they're f freely abundant and cheap because there's also this misconception that healthy food has to be expensive which it, it doesn't so the kind of three main foods which are easy to incorporate are oily fish so grab a tin of sardines Put that in your bowl of pasta you know if you're boiling some pasta with some tomato sauce just throw in some sardines and um, olive oil on liberal don't be afraid of fat our brain is made of fat and we're not eating enough of it so either for cooking or for salad dressings so olive oil is amazing green vegetables so kale broccoli um spinach asparagus brussels sprouts just think anything green it's full of folate so um, b9 which is really important for our brain cells and magnesium rich foods so things like almonds and pumpkin seeds so if you're having porridge in the morning put you know buy a bag of mixed seeds and just put a tablespoon of those on um or a tablespoon on your salad um so you know a bag of mixed seeds is easy enough to get it's cheap but they're full of good oils um, and vitamins and minerals to, to support the brain. Amazing. Thank you. And then there, you know, I know that we have these items in our larders and often enough, we're not able to use them um, because they're for the customers and not for us. But, you know, again, these are important things. And to be honest, yeah, you can shop anywhere in whatever country you're in and there's usually whole food shops or there's, you know, Lidl's or Audi's around the world nowadays as well that do these in abundance, don't they? That literally no frills, no frills seeds and, and, and options. Um, I mean, chia seeds fall into that as well, because I've heard chia seeds and amaranth seeds have quite a quite a high benefit to people's um, digestion and, and health. Chia seeds are full of fiber. So, yeah, they're really good for the gut. Um, and they are also a vegetarian source of omega-3. So the, when I mentioned uh, oily fish, if you're vegetarian, then the chia seeds would be a nice alternative to get that omega-3 um, good fat. Because, but it does have to go through an extra conversion process in the body. So that then, how good are you at converting? You know, are you, how much are you getting the benefits? So fish is better in that it's more freely available to the body, but chia seeds would be an alternative. I don't eat a great deal of fish at all. So um, that's something I'll have to start to try and definitely start to try and address. Um, 
And I mean, you said it doesn't need to be to be too expensive. I take it. Do we need? Are we solely going to live off of sort of seeds and and plants um, with lashings of olive oil, or are we able to use carbs? Are we able to eat carbs and consume carbs, or do we have to limit the our intake for those? No, it's all about whether they are. It's about the type of carbs. So you know, I'm not advocating it's all about that broad spectrum um so things like your whole grain bread so go for brown and wholemeal bread and pasta brown rice uh quinoa you know it's it's not going for the white versions which spike the insulin which cause blood sugar a bit of a blood sugar roller coaster so we can get that nice sugar rush like from um from savory foods, so our white refined foods, anything white flour based can give us, give that brain, the brain still a, a sugar rush like sweet foods, but it gives us the crash as well. So that's when we can get mm. tired and irritable and hungry and feel like we need to snack. So keeping a nice stable blood sugar by having the whole grain versions of carbohydrates is the way to go. Again, I'm I'm thinking mid-service, two minutes of mindfulness with the right level of nutrients in, the, in order to get your body fit and ready for, for round two, as opposed to pushing on through without any breaks, having a Red Bull to give you a bit of caffeine and a bit of sugar, which then ultimately then you crash and you crave more because you're stressed and then the cycle repeats. I can I can see a, a way through the fog. I have no idea how to get there. So, uh, Julie, I take it that's um, that's where you come in. And, and what sort of services do do you offer um, from Vegas Wellbeing's point of view? How do you work with your clients? So I work with individuals and businesses and charities. Um, I have it, it really upsets me that I offer a private service that isn't covered by insurance or the NHS, and not not enough people know about us. Um, so on an individual basis, I work in packages. So one-off appointments doesn't achieve anything for either me or the client. I don't know what's worked for them. You don't get feedback. So generally a six or 12 week package to look at their lifestyle, their, their diet and what incremental changes we can make. There's nothing, I would never ask anyone to make things which are too difficult it's all about doing things in a slow and steady way um so it's quite the opposite to a lot of the common marketing that we're bombarded with about transformations you know lose weight quickly not that it's all about weight loss at all it's it's all about um feeling better but it's that slow and steady approach and identifying your triggers your barriers to change your motivations um, so that it's sustainable for the long run. And on the business side, it's very much more education. So educating people on maybe diseases or um, how they can look after them themselves to avoid getting diseases. So 40% of chronic disease or so heart attacks, diabetes, strokes, um, Alzheimer's, you know, they're all related to our lifestyle. So let's avoid getting there in the first place. Um, you know, but there could be workshops, food tastings, you know, bring it, you know, bring some fun back to learning. It's food is such a community based 
or should be, you know, community community based activity where let's use food to communicate again and learn as, as we do it. So, you know, it's flexible, um, but love to work with charities as well to educate people who can't afford my services on on how to look after themselves. My brain's thinking at this moment in time in terms of potentially doing some sort of collabs with whereby we can invite people from the hospitality community to come and dine in a not necessarily Mediterranean setting, but with a Mediterranean principle, because one of the key things from that study, if I remember correctly, was the fact that people dine together as a community, as a, a large family. And that sense of connection was also one of the things that could be attributed to improving health and well-being from a, from a mental standpoint of view. But, you know, I think there's definitely with the hundreds of hospitality professionals and culinary geniuses we have listening to this right now, I think there's um, there's options whereby we can put on some really cool events that educate people and get them engaged in nutrition and, and what they're eating. Um, so we we can we can talk about that offline, Julie. But if people needed to uh, to wanted to find you, there will be notes in the in the show notes. But where can people find you? Yes, yeah, so um, my website is vegaswellbeing.co.uk and if you sign up to my newsletter, there you get a free uh, three-day recipe book which is all for the brain and to support anxiety and nutrition. So simple, easy recipes. So I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, so yeah, just Vegas, it's all Vegas Wellbeing as the handle. And I offer free Wonderful. discovery calls. So if anyone wants to chat with me, no pressure, no obligation. Um, you can book in a free call as well, no problem. Perfect. Thank you. And I look forward to uh, to continuing this conversation offline. But um, thank you very much for joining me today and talking about sort of your business model and really filling us in on the importance of, of nutrition and, and well-being. And um, yeah, thanks for thanks. Thanks for your time. You're most welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal. If you haven't yet checked out the Burnt Chef Project website, then please head over to www.theburntchefproject.com. You'll find a whole host of resources, free access to our training app, as well as free support services, blog posts, our merchandise store, and also our ambassadors who are there to support you when you need it. Thanks again for joining us this week, and I'll see you again soon.